Hey everybody, it's the first week of February, and we've got the board game mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me as always is... Jason. Yay. Episode 3. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, this has been really fun, and I'm going to just start off the show by saying, wow, what the heck. Uh, the Riveted, you guys are, are quite the fan base. You're like doing something pretty spectacular out there right now. I agree. Yeah, it's amazing. We were like a month into it, and things are just going crazy. I mean, we've gotten some shout-outs from some designers and gotten way more likes than I ever thought we would have gotten this quickly. Oh, absolutely. Um, 150 likes, I think, as of today, which is pretty amazing. And then um, getting some top 25 or a, a top 25 designer on Board Game, uh, on Board Game Geek, and then I'm, I'm certain that uh, DeBerry's like, what, a top 200 for sure. Yeah, uh, I designer. think so. Yeah. I mean, just giving us a shout out, like acknowledging we exist, that's pretty amazing. So uh, some exciting stuff going on. If you haven't, if you haven't been over to our Facebook page, that again is pretty much where we keep everything up to date. It's where we do all of our our central posting and and keep everything fresh. So if you haven't been there, uh, we are on facebook.com forward slash the board game mechanics. I think is is that's right, right, Jason? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, you should head over there and like us. Uh, it's been really fun to have so many likes on the Facebook page. But that I really, honestly, that's where we any news that we have, any kind of updates to the show schedule or anything like that, we we post there. And then also, if you aren't over there and liking us, then you're missing out on some exclusive video content. We do at least a couple of videos a week over there of just kind of looking at a board game or unboxing one or uh, some uh, something kind of cool. And and then you've got a brand new series you're working on over uh, in the uh, Southern Studios there too. So do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I'm just doing a little shelfy deal. I know how people love to see what, people, what games people have. So I've just been kind of going through one shelf at a time, dropping it every day. And I think I'm going to do part five tomorrow. We'll see what games are on there. But yesterday, or the one that dropped today was full of the good games. Well, and like I pride myself in knowing about every game. I mean, when stuff comes out, I generally try and look at it and see what it's all about. Watch at least a little bit of some video about it. Look at some pictures of the board and stuff. And you have some games on your shelves that I'm like, wow, I've never seen that game before. So it's been kind of fun to get a chance to see some stuff I don't know about. Yeah, I, I mean, there, sometimes there's a reason why you don't know about it, but um, I try to only keep games that are at least okay. I mean, I don't hate it. If it's on my shelf, I'm not going to hate it, so there's always that. But I, I think the other part is, too, you and I are, we're the board game mechanics. Our kind of thing is we're a little bit blue collar. We just, we aren't game snobs. We'll play about anything, and I mean, like, I, I've i bought some bargain, bargain bin games for, you know, 75% off, and... Uh, Sometimes they're home runs and sometimes they aren't, but they're still in my collection sometimes. So, uh, oh, I agree. Some of the games we've got on like Black Friday sales have been some of my favorite games. So, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I, my most recent one uh, that I got on a really good deal is I got Hyper Berea for 25 bucks, which sold for like a hundred dollars initially. And that game is one that I've never heard anybody say anything about, and it's so cool. Um, but I'll talk about that one sometime after I actually get it played. I've just read through the rules and watched some let's plays right now at this point, but give us a shout out. If you've played Hyperborea, like let us know if it's any good, uh, like do that for any of these things we're talking about. Like we'd love to get feedback from you guys. Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about Kanban to rub that in my face some more. Oh, and I, I was going to get kind of <laughs> cheesed off about that. 
You know what? I, I think Kanban's one that, like, I don't know. I'm going to see what the Stronghold games, like, reprints like. And if it's decent and uh, I can get a copy, like, three quarters cheap, I'll trade you my exclusive pretentious European copy that I have coming. So that, That's the one that I want. I like the pretension of that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then, like, everyone's collection is so personal to them. So, like, I kind of got into it today uh, on a thread on Facebook. Not horribly, I mean, but just with what I think some games are worth and what other people think they're worth. And, like, people were kind of, like, saying Bruges is a $30 game, $40 game. I'm like, are you kidding me? Maybe for a German edition right now, but, yeah, I mean, I, I know that. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't find an English edition for under, I don't know, probably 65 bucks at least. So, whatever. That's anyway, true. that's that's what I, I guess going full circle on that. Like, that's why your shelfie series is so cool. Like, uh, it's stuff that you really love and like to hear you talk about it and talk about why you love it. It's kind of cool. Um, so I enjoy that. And then I've been doing some board game spotlights as well, uh, on some games that I've tried to pick games in particular that I don't think people have seen or are like kind of out of print or stuff that like my favorite thing to do is find a game that is out of print, but still in supply. And then people can go out and get a copy for themselves um, before it's like a grail game again. So that's kind of like a heads up I'm trying to give people on like Clash of Cultures is the one I did a couple weeks ago. And I think I might even mention that on the show. But that's I mean, I still strongly suggest people go try and find a copy of that if they want a good Civ builder. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm not super into those games, but that does seem kind of interesting to me. And I like it even more because Tom Vassell doesn't love it. So I usually go the opposite <laughs> direction of him. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, same thing with Hyperborea. Like when I found out Tom Vassell didn't think it was that great, I was like, "Ah, oh, he'll 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 uh, he'll like this one probably because it's seen dudes on a map." And then he didn't really like it, so I was like, "Oh, maybe maybe I'll really love this game." So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly usually value his opinion at least somewhat. But the guy who I'm always on board with, I mean, we're kind of going off topic here. But that's okay. That's I mean, I don't think you guys have anywhere to go. You're listening to a podcast. You're probably in the car or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Like Sam Healy's the dude I think I have the most in common with taste wise. I know that's definitely not your kind of your kind of games too, but I don't know. Yeah, so this is a really awesome endorsement for the Dice Tower. So Dice Tower, will you like throw us a bone and give us an endorsement now or what? <laughs> yeah, um, I actually think I like all the Dice Tower guys, but I actually think I prefer Rado's tastes. He's a yeah. little more Euro and oh, a yeah. Care Bear, and that's me all the way. Or Ryan Metzler is the guy in the Dice Tower that is way into Euro games that I can see your mat- like taste matching with his. Oh, yeah. Every review he does, I'm like, dude, I need this game. This is an amazing yeah. game. Yeah, he loves his Euros. Well, anyway, um, another cool video thing going on, too, I think it was just announced today, is that we're adding some more contributors to the channel. So that's something. I don't know how soon are we going to see that, Jason? Um, I think they're shooting for Saturday, actually. And they are... Katie Sandy Smith, my wife, and Kim Breeze, who right now is just a, she co-hosts a podcast over at the Chance Cube. It's about Star Wars Destiny, so they're going to be doing some stuff on our channel. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I I did get a, like almost a sneak peek of this. I saw that uh, when Katie was doing her top 100 on Facebook, Kim Kim sat in on a part of it, and they uh, they can get kind of zany together, so I'm kind of curious <laughs> to see how this all ends up coming out. So yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah, I think it'll be really fun, too, actually. So uh, I'm really excited to have them doing some videos for us, too. Uh, I, honestly, if you're if you're looking for more content on just the world of board games because you're a, you know addict and you just love this stuff like we do, 
I, I seriously, our Facebook page has stuff on it every day. So look forward to seeing some people who came there. If you, if you like us because of this endorsement, just give us a shout out. Like, and we do the highest of fives for new people who want them. So, you know, throw us a high five and we'll high five you back. So anyway, yeah, it's true. We do love high fives. We gave some penguin high fives today, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, down to business, I guess. Uh, and wrapping this up, just in conclusion, I guess, just want to say thanks for all your support so far. And we've grown this thing. Um, Jason, you've done a ton of, of marketing, I guess I'll say it. And uh, I know that you know that's done a lot to help grow us. But I know that you guys are out there talking about us too. So I really appreciate that. Uh, so keep doing it. Keep sharing the, uh, the word saying, hey, these guys are brand new, but we kind of enjoy them. So check them out. Um, I really appreciate that. I know Jason does too. If you subscribe, that's huge too. Uh, when people subscribe, like, and uh, share our stuff and then review it, the way how the algorithms work on Google Play and on iTunes, it makes us more visible to people too. And so, I mean, obviously we love just having the conversation here that we record, but I think we like to have people who like feedback, give us feedback and talk back to us too and, and know that people are hearing it. So, if you can uh, do that to help us, we love it. We really appreciate it. So that's the last of the uh, of the like public broadcasting plea for your support that I'm going to do today. But we really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks, thanks for all the likes and thanks for all the subscribes. And I, honestly, this thing has gotten more listens in a month than probably the most popular podcast I was on um, in a month. So maybe not quite, but really close. And that's, you know, after six months of growth or something. So really feeling supported, really feeling loved by you guys. Really appreciate it. Well, anyway, enough of that. Today, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to talk news. We're going to look at what we played in the last week or two. And then we have a feature today, games. This is one that Jason came up with. Games based on real people and real locations. That's something that uh, I don't think I've really ever seen a list of. And I think you're right, Jason. That's a good list. It's, it's yeah. kind of cool. So. It seemed different. I mean, everybody talks about top gateways and stuff, but no one ever talks about games in after places, which there are like a million of them. So, I mean, there's got to be a couple good ones in there. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I've got a couple in there. And I it's so hard because one of the location games I just played this weekend and I'm gonna to want to talk about it early, but I gotta I've gotta like restrain myself so I can have something <laughs> to talk about later. But anyway, <laughs> so so the first board game news was uh, the first this first group of board game news was the uh, the excitement happening over at the board game mechanics, but there's more than that. What else is happening in the world of board games, Jason? Yeah, I found a, a sweet Kickstarter game. Um, the only reason I even looked at it. Well, the main reason, I love Five Tribes, and this has a Mancala mechanic, and uh, I love Mancala. It's so fun. I, it's so, like, I have this little app on my phone that's Mancala, and I can sit and play that for, like, two hours. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, this game's called Deja Vu. Virtual Mancala. That's pretty awesome. You <laughs> yeah, know that they, like, if you go to any Goodwill in the world, you can get a Mancala board for, like, seven cents or something. Just just approach it for you there. Well, I have a Mancala board from Africa that was handmade that's pretty sweet. But, again, that's beside the point. Um <laughs> The first game, well, the only that game. That does sound sweet, but you can't you can't really take that with you into the waiting room at the doctor's office very well, can you? You can. You'll just get funny looks. <laughs> but whatever. And I actually think it's missing some pieces. Are all the pieces are the same color or something? I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I've got to tell you something. I'm not above some funny looks, personally. But <laughs> whatever. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I get them wherever I go to. It's just part of life, I guess. 
Um, no, so <laughs> I, I did look at this one too. Cause you were like, Oh, this looks great. And I think it looks pretty interesting. I'm personally not going to back this one just cause there's so much stuff out there that I, I want to pick up or, you know, get involved with. But, um, if you, if you play it, if you buy it, I'll certainly play your copy. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Like I had it bagged actually when it came on, I was like, dude, this is sweet. And then I watched Rado play it and I was like, wow, this is pretty neat. The two player game is actually why I wanted it because unlike five tribes, it has the weird, you have to bid twice and then turn order can be one person takes one turn. The other person takes two. This one's just normal turn order and the board doesn't empty. It keeps refilling. So as you're, as you're picking stuff off the board, there's like a mechanism where the things you spend, they go into this like waiting pool. And then once that's full, it goes back out on the board. So there's always a bunch of stuff on the board that you can use to get the cards out of your hand and stuff. So it has cool art. It's, I think it's in, from China because the money was, they were asking for Hong Kong dollars. So hmm. I think it's a Chinese company. That That's uh that's crazy too that there's more and more like Asia is becoming much more of a like games region in the recent months and years. Um, when I when I was first getting you know into games, it was like every good game came from Germany almost. And uh, recently, people have really been going to that. Like I think it's the Tokyo Games Fair, and that's yeah. where a lot of these games are coming from nowadays. I mean, there's just a lot of really cool things uh, coming out of Japan games wise too. Yeah, I mean I'm. I like a lot of Asian games. The couple that I've played, I mean, I have Hanamakoji, which I think is from a, an Asian designer, Emperor S4. I'm not sure if it's Korean or Chinese. It's one of those two. But, yeah, I like all the Asian games I've played. I really like them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Uh, the uh, What's the name of it? I, I don't even remember what the exact name of it is, but there's like a... A award they have or like a contest they have where it's like you design a game that costs less than like seven yen or something to make and i know that's what love letter came out of is mm-hmm. is that contest and i think it's still an active contest and that's why some of those little box games come out of japan um there's there are just some really cool really cool things that come out of japan for sure yeah I agree. so the uh the uh fate the uh hate not fate the hate kickstarter that we talked about last week yeah. is approaching a million dollars, which is pretty crazy to think about given how polarizing it is. That really is crazy. Didn't you say that was the the same designer as Zombie Side? Yeah, it is. Um, I forget the guy's name, but he's done a lot of stuff for for Simon. Um, That's so yeah. crazy. So crazy. <laughs> right. Well, and then the other one that came out on Kickstarter this week that I was like, oh, do we really? It maybe didn't come out this week, but. Tiny Epic Zombies. I was like, do we really need another zombie game? I don't know. Whatever. Another, do we need another Tiny Epic game and do we yeah, need another that, zombie game? Like both those question. questions in my head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, ah, uh, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, like these games, they it's it's the most um it's the most like true form of like capitalism with Kickstarter. Like you vote for what you want to have happen with your dollars and this stuff's getting funded. So I don't know. I feel like there's kind of a bubble there to a degree with the Kickstarter stuff that I don't know if it's going to last forever, but for right now there's some really interesting stuff that gets funded and funded big. So yeah, go I mean, at I it. Li- I like Kickstarter. It's just half the time I'm not interested in, in the games. So that's yeah. my issue yeah. with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I've done plenty of Kickstarters myself. I mean, and there are times where, you really feel like you're you're doing well by doing the Kickstarter. 
um, because you feel like you're helping a small company, you know, achieve a goal and you feel like they appreciate it enough that they're going to give you a really nice product back, like with some, with some extras and stuff. The thing that really has kind of turned me off to Kickstarters a little bit, and this, I know this obviously isn't what we're talking about tonight, but, um, the whole thing of like, you pay 70 bucks for your pledge level and you end up getting like maybe a play mat or something that you wouldn't get in the retail version, you think. And, um, and then it goes out into retail and at cool stuff and it's selling for like $32 within like a month of when you get yours or not right. even a month. That, that's really irritating to me. And then the play mats on their website for like eight bucks or whatever. So I mean like that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's pretty frustrating, but I don't know. The only thing that I think on, on Kickstarter right now, I mean, speaking of Japan is the Tokyo series. That that looks kind of cool on Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen yeah. that, but um, I don't know. That's something I've. I think I need to watch the videos a little more of. That's but, like the popsicle stick games, right? Y- y- well, I, the, yeah, like they're Tokyo like really Highway. Color- yeah, they're really yeah. really like Tokyo Metro. Yeah, um, yeah, and they're really colorful games. They're they're pretty neat looking, honestly. Um, and that, they obviously backed like they got their backing real quickly. Um, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. Mixed bag. We'll, we'll do a show, I'm sure, about Kickstarters at some point. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh, so that's it for news, I think, right? Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, just the one, one game. In personal news, you got a pretty epic game in the last couple of weeks. I did, yes. Um, and that game would be called Dinosaur Island. Uh, it, it, looks, uh, it looks like it would be like a pretty cool game. It's like so overproduced and stuff. And so like when I saw that, how overproduced it was and how like, I don't want to say gimmicky, but like how, like they're trying to appeal to a certain crowd with the art, trying to be like, you know, almost eighties looking with that color scheme and stuff. I thought, wow, they're really trying to like dress up a pig here and like, they don't have much of a game to it. And then I don't think it was you. Someone else told, told me, or I read a review where someone said that game could be all shades of Brown and have no theme on it at all. And it would still be mechanically a really sound game. Oh yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. That's, and that's, um, it looks like my kind of game now that I'm looking into it a little more. Of course, now I'm in that spot too of that's where the, the Kickstarters like get you. This is when they're worth doing. This is when you can't get a copy for yourself for like six months now because they're out of print. <laughs> but right. I, I think my local shop's getting one in March or something, he said. But it looks really good. Yeah, literally the day I got this game, I, I texted a buddy. I was like, dude, you need to come over and play this game with me. And he came over, I think, at 9 o'clock. And we played through the game till about 1030. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was so good. And honestly, well, the game's ahead. not even that difficult. Like, seriously, I think they packaged um, a medium weight game into a heavy package, if that makes sense. Like, the mechanics are really simple and smooth. Everything's super streamlined. But the way they go about it makes it seem like almost Vital Lacerda heavy. And it's not nearly that heavy at all. Yeah, it, it looks like there's a lot there. But I think you compared it when you were talking to me to Grand Austria Hotel. Like Grand Austria looks like this like behemoth of a game, but then when you start playing it, you're like, oh, that's just pretty smooth like set collection right. kind of thing. And I obviously haven't played Dinosaur Island, but like based on the gameplay I've seen, it looks like it almost to me feels like I love Viticulture because Viticulture has this thing of like you need to do A in order to do B the to, mm-hmm. then to do C so that you can do D, E, and F and get points. Like there's a whole chain that you have to place your guys through and like figure out what the path is for doing those steps in the right way. And, you know, like it seems like Dinosaur Island's kind of the same thing almost that you have to, you know, start 
and then work your way through these things to get your final product, you know, to get your dinosaurs and stuff. So I don't know. I could be totally misinterpreting what I've seen in the game, but that's kind of how it feels to me based on just videos. Do you feel that way at all or what do you feel? Yeah, I agree. I mean, because if you really screw up in phase one, when it comes down to phase three, when you have to make your dinosaurs by mixing the DNA and stuff, if you don't get enough DNA during phase one, you're completely done. You're going to have to sit phase three and phase four out and you're going to lose, you know, you could lose the game because you're not producing dinosaurs in that fourth phase. And, you know, that's just poor planning. (laughs) That's what makes it tough. You screw up a little bit in one section and it's going to jack up your whole round. And that's, and that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like with Viticulture, like you see someone who's going up to that 25 point mark if you're playing Tuscany and you know they're going to sell wine next round and like you just don't have the wine created in time to age it enough to sell it and stuff like that. So, I mean, that future planning thing, I think it's kind of cool in a worker placement game. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Dinosaur Island looks really good. I definitely look forward to playing your copy <laughs> for sure. Um but I, it's one that's going to be on my radar for sure. Yeah, my only issue with it is the ending just happens. It just shows up. Really? Yeah, like you're playing, you're all in this game, and then all of a sudden somebody completes the objective and the game's over. It's like, oh, well, I wasn't even ready to be done yet. But <laughs> So it just sneaks up on you, and it's kind of anticlimactic, I guess. My uh, my highlight of playing since the last podcast is a game that I'm actually going to talk about later. So I'm not going to say anything about it, but <laughs> I know people like to play little games and have trivia and stuff that they do. So I will <laughs> right. say this about it. It's our theme tonight. Our main feature is is based on games named after people or real places. Okay. And this game just recently got like a small redistribution or small printing that sold out real quick immediately again. So it's a little out of print right now. But it's named after a real place, and it's from 2015, and it's a pretty heavy game. Not super heavy, but I would say solidly in the medium heavy weight. So people might have some guesses on what that game is, um, but you'll find out if you listen for another 15 minutes or 10 minutes. But anyway, <laughs> that game, I really want to talk about it right now, but I'm going to wait until later in the show to talk about it because it's on my list of games that I want to talk about. The thing is, you didn't even put that thing, that game as the first game that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make people wait till like the third thing I talk about. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. All right. Another game I played is Terra Mystica. I'm a little late to the party on that one, but I got it late. Uh, Sorry. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, hey, I, I'm going to tell you like uh, that. There's no shame in that. Like that's that's what the board game mechanic life is all about, man. Like you uh, you're not a you're not a professional reviewer. You're not a well, not yet, at least we're hoping. Right. But it. <laughs> But we're, we, you know, we buy games when we know they're good. We, uh, we buy things that we want to keep. And, and, uh, Terra Mystica is one that was out of print for a long time, was well over a hundred bucks to buy in most places. And so now it's just getting back to the spot where you can find copies and, and get it again. So it's a solid game. It's a really solid game. I really like it. Yeah. The only reason I was actually intrigued by it because I played Clans of Caledonia mm. and it takes a lot of the Terra Mystica like mechanics. And I thought it was a little lighter and I wanted some meatier. So I was like, I need to pick this game up. And then I played it with a buddy last weekend. And man, it was so good. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about that game is there's decision after decision. You screw up one time and around, you're done. It's, I love it. Oh, right. It's tight. I, I, I like, uh, it's a lot of other games do it too. 
But if I'm remembering right, it's been, I don't know, probably four years since I played that game. Um, if I'm remembering right, your player boards have these little chits that go over like little like go over some symbols. And then as you do things with those chits, like it uncovers more symbols on your boards or like gives you more like capacity to do things. If I'm remembering right. Like, right. Yeah. When and, you build and, buildings, you gain money right. and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And like, that's kind of a cool thing. The only thing I didn't like about this game, and this is what sticks out in my head and it's stupid. It's totally stupid. It's like a completely stupid hang up for me to have. Like I play like, I play like, you know, these like games with like pentagrams in them and like D and D and stuff. And like, um, I don't know, like, so for me to get hung up on something that I feel like just kind of scuzzy, like that little sideboard where you like have to like offer like worship to these like deities and stuff like felt weird to me. But then also it not only felt weird to me, it felt like it was like, it didn't mesh with the game. It was like, yeah, it was tacked on a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right. Like it was like, Hey, if you aren't doing super great in the main part of the game, like this is maybe a way for you to stay competitive if you can dump points into this. But I mean like, and it's like, it's not even that I like really had a moral hang up on it or anything too much, but it just was just a weird thing just to have on the side. I don't know. It doesn't bother me because I don't care about the theme. I just got up the red, white, blue and brown track. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it worked for me. I was just moving my little guy up the red, white, blue, and brown track. You see, and I don't have a hang-up about space games like you do, so that's why like, I potentially will get Gaia Project, but I don't know. That's that's one that I'm going to wait until I can see it on a daily deal on cool stuff in a year or two or something. Right. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, if uh, if the Gaia Project people are, are part of the Riveted and they want to send me a copy, I will definitely just joel at bgmechanics.com. <laughs> just... Just send me an email. I'll give you my address. No problem. You can just send me a copy. It's or if there's like a like super wealthy, super wealthy like riveted fan who just wants to hear what I think of the game. Like again, Joel at bgmechanics.com. This so, episode has so much pandering. It's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, speaking of pandering, this is the announcement that I want to make. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and just do it right now. Today starts my new campaign, okay? Today is day one of my campaign, and I'm going to keep this going until this happens, okay? So this is where I need the riveted to, like, get into action here. I know I, I said I wasn't going to be that, like, needy public broadcasting guy saying give us a dollar every week or whatever. It has nothing to do with money. But I am starting an active campaign for two things. Number one is I want to get on This Game is Broken. Like, I want us to have – I want Jason Heck and I yeah, to be man. guests on there. I want us to be like, I want us to be on a team against the brothers Murph and just stomp them. <laughs> that so, show is amazing. I love it. Yeah. That's my, that's my active campaign. I'm starting. This is day one of the campaign to get us on. This game is broken. <laughs> so if you're listening, this game is broken, bring it like, we'll take you. Right? So that's, that's the first thing. The second one is I want to be a guest on the dice steeple. Like I just love Sam Healy and I have a lot in common with the dice steeple in my personal life and stuff. But anyway, that's, that's the second thing I want to get. So day one of my campaign to get on either one of those shows. And then the other thing too, is like whichever show gets me on first, will get my undying allegiance for the rest of my life. So that's uh that's, that's, it's a race slash campaign to get on those shows. So anyway, Terra Mystica, back to what we played. <laughs> yeah, so we played. I played Terra Mystica, and it did not disappoint. So I'll yeah. let you go ahead and move on to your game. You super solid game. I mean, absolutely super solid game. And that's one that if I ever ran across a copy where I could get like local pickup and not have to pay like thirty dollars shipping for a used game or something, I would absolutely. If I found a copy for under forty bucks, I would be just all over it. I actually I mean, got like, it for thirty five dollars all in. You're kidding. No, 35 bucks shipped. It was amazing. You some, some dude on kidding. BGG. You need to haggle with guys on BGG for me then, and then I'll just pay them. Like, that is amazing <laughs> that you were able to do that. Like, that is a steal. Yeah. That is I, an absolute yeah, I was steal. Impressed. 
That's crazy. That <laughs> that guy's a sucker, man. Poor guy. Just the recycling cardboard value of that game's more than $35. <laughs> it's heavy. It was, yeah. It's, it was heavy, yes. All right. Well, the uh, the game that I played, uh, I played with a bunch of guys. We had like seven guys at, at a board gaming thing this last weekend. And so with seven guys, especially when most of them are just like gateway players, um, it it gives you this weird thing of like, you can't really, if you're going to try and start two groups and they're all your games, you have to teach two tables how to play a game. And so while the one table's waiting, they're kind of like disengaged and like, then it's like they're, they're going to have questions. So you're going back and forth between the two tables. And so sometimes I've done it where I don't even play either game. I just kind of enjoy that other people are playing games and just kind of keep them going. But I didn't really want to do this this time. So I was like, all right, what do we have that plays seven players? And I'm going to go ahead and talk about two games because they're both filler games. So I'm going to put two filler games in here as my fill. <laughs> <laughs> on what I played, but the first one was Deception, Murder, Deception, or Deception, Murder in Hong Kong, which I, I mean, like I got it for Christmas based on just the fact that a lot of people really love that game, and ah, uh, I, I hate to say it, but it kind of got like a muh plus, like it was okay, it was like perfectly fine, but I thought it was gonna be more like social deductiony and not so much like code names meets. Yeah, you're kind of arguing, Dixit, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, like so, I don't know and. And it was just, uh, the other thing too, is it's kind of a random fest too. So like sometimes like, I don't know, like, uh, sometimes the cards that flip up, those like cardboard cards that flip up that you put the bullets on come up and they're like perfect. So it's like, Oh man, it's clearly like this guy did it with the rope and he had the ethernet cable as his key evidence. Like, cause like the cards are just perfect. But then sometimes it's like you get a card that's like, what was the weather outside? And like the thing (laughs) has nothing to do with the weather at all. Like, you're like, I don't know, umbrella? Is that why you picked rainy? Is there an umbrella out here? No. <laughs> why did he pick rainy? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's kind of a hang up I had with it. And then like, I don't know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't bad. But the game he played right after that was Secret Hitler, which did oh, not so disappoint. So I good. love that game. That game has absolutely 100% fired um, Avalon for me. Like, I don't think I want to play Avalon ever again. Like, uh, the resistance Avalon, I will, I won't play it. Like I just, it doesn't, it doesn't do that whole kind of game as well. Secret Hitler does. The only thing that I, I mean, this is totally stupid, but I do have like some like bordering on like sensitive people in my circles of like life that might be hung up on the Hitler thing. And the other thing too, is like, I couldn't play this game at school because of the, Hey, you're Hitler and you're trying to get right, elected. Right, thing. Right. But that said, I, they don't have copies of this in their store right now. Like it's sold out for like the moment. And so I, they have the print and play stuff that they're like, Hey, if you want to make a print and play of this game, that's absolutely totally fine. We encourage that. We want people to play our game. And then they even say creative commons licensing on it. So if you want to retheme it or recolor it or do different graphic design or whatever, that's absolutely fine. Just don't make money off it and give us credit. Well, so I did, I looked for print and play versions and I found a version called secret Palpatine, which I think is kind of awesome. So I think I'm yeah. going to print that one off and, uh, and see if I could use that with my kids at school or something. There's so, a secret Voldemort as well. Oh, that's kind of cool too. Yeah, if you're into Harry Potter, a funny a funny story about this game. Um, one one day, my wife and I went over to a gaming night with some people from our church, and there were ten of us. We were playing this game. A bunch of church people. I busted out Secret Hitler. Oh, that's like Very, a max group there. Yeah, it was awesome. The very first round, I called Katie a lying piece of trash, 
and it got, <laughs> it got all the church people like <laughs> it like blew their mind that I would call my wife a lying piece of trash in a game. But <laughs> oh, they need to learn. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It's lucky that's oh. all you called her. Honestly, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's like my best gaming memory ever. I think it was awesome. That's that's pretty amazing. Like the other one too was the first round we played. I was Hitler, and like. I think it was just this thing of me explaining the game. I had super high credibility. So no one even remotely thought that I was Hitler. Like, cause I was just accusing other people of it and just doing what you do to not be, not be found. And, right. um, so then at the end, like everyone flipped their cards except for me and they were like, what the heck? We didn't have a Hitler. Like, did we not shuffle the cards and deal the cards right? And then I flipped my card over and everyone was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that was, that was an awesome first round to play. And then like, yeah. The second round, it just like I guess this is where luck can kind of get you on this game too. Like we we I the perfect group of people were the were the fascists and Hitler. So like the other fascist was my buddy Jed, who you know, and like yeah. he and I are like a really good team. And then my my brother Matt was Hitler. And so my brother Matt like even figured out pretty early on that we were the fascists with him. But like it just the way how the policies came up. So like the first president the first president was to the to the right of of Jed, and then so then like and I was sitting right next to Jed, so like we were number we were number two and three president, and we both passed like liberal agendas because we thought you know what like if we pass liberal agendas early on like it'll make us seem like we're liberal and they won't suspect us as being fascists, but then also like I don't know we thought you know it'll pull some of those those liberal cards out of there and there'll definitely be some three fascist card things pop up later so we can say no they passed a fascist thing it's clearly them well like right. what happened was the liberal things just keep popping out and like we didn't pa- pass a single fascist thing and it never made it back around the table to us again to even pass anything fascist so that's weird too because there's way more fascist than liberal right. policies in there it's like 11 to 5 or 11 to 6 or something yeah. so that's just the odds were stacked against us the whole time. I mean, like I thought for sure. And it's, I mean, it's, I know it's a pretty crazy draw to think that someone's going to get three fascist cards when they draw, but like it happened in the game before that. So, I mean, like, and I know it certainly happens where like you don't have a choice, but to give someone fascist cards. So I was banking on that when I passed those liberals and then it never happened. So if I had it to do again, the second time I would have passed a fascist and be like, yeah, he handed me all fascist cards. I don't know what you want me to do, but that's what I got and right. hope that people bought that, you know? So Anyway, whatever. The, I, I, I could keep talking about this game, and I think you could too, because it's a really great game. But yeah, even yeah, even, even better is your next game that you want to talk about for sure. Yeah, I don't even like party games. The Secret Hitler is amazing. But um, yeah, the next game I'm going to talk about after those two medium and heavy <laughs> games, I'm going to talk about this little game called The Hare and the Tortoise. I don't know if you ever played it. By Yellow, right? The little yeah, book it's series? Yeah, by Yellow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my Maybe buddy Brand Like children, right? Yeah, yeah. My buddy Brandon came over and hit him and his daughter have been playing, I guess, the mess out of this game. So he brought it over because she wanted to play it. So we sat down, played it. I played two games of this thing back to back. And I had a ton of fun with it. It's just a stupid little racing game where you're playing some cards. But it was fun. What can I say? I've heard, I've heard it's the best game in that book series. Like this one and Three Little Pigs is okay. But I've heard Tortoise and Hare is like by far the best one. And I And I know I've been at board game days with like 30 other gamers and there's been like a table of people playing this game with like people looking over their shoulder, watching them play and like cheering and stuff. So, I mean, 
It, I, it sounds so stupid to me. I'm sorry. It just sounds ridiculously stupid. But I know that there are people who love this game and get way into it. And like, I am shocked that you're like, yeah, this game wasn't bad. Like, because your taste in games is so far from that one. So believe me, I'm shocked too. Like, they, they were like, hey, we're gonna play this game. I was like, oh man. But then I played. It, I was like, hey, that was actually kind of fun. You're trying to get the stupid wolf. Like, come on, wolf, run, 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 run. And then the stupid lamb or sheep shows up, and it has to stop at a stupid little river, and then. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I don't know. It was a good time. It looks I mean, like and, glorified Candyland or something when you look at the back of the box and stuff. Like I don't know. It just looks so like I don't know. Light. Like, I mean, is it draw a card of, move or what is it? Uh, you have a hand, I think, of five cards, and on your turn you can play as many cards as you want. But once four of a certain animal have been played or eight total cards, all the animals move. So you're trying to decide. Hmm. You know, based on how many, there's a, like a little player card that tells you how far each animal moves based on how many cards are played. So, and you have two two animals that you're trying to get to win. It can be the same animal twice, or it can be two different animals. So, based on who you have and how far people can move, you're trying to play cards and mess other people up from getting to play the cards they want. So, I mean, it's actually a little strategic, I guess, for a super light game. But hey, I enjoyed it. I don't even yeah. feel bad about it. I, I mean, that's one too that sometimes you'll see it at like, it looks like a book. So I've seen it in bookstores that don't even sell board games. And right. I don't know if they confused it for a book so they <laughs> bought it or what, but I've seen it on pretty awesome clearance. Like, I mean, like less than 10 bucks almost at, at different places. And I just have never pulled the trigger on it. If I knew that it was going to get your endorsement, I would have, but. Oh, no, like seriously, it's it's fun. I'd play it right now. Again, that's how, how fun it was. I would well, play it right you, now. You've got younger kids too. How far off are they from being able to play this kind of game? Um, I mean, I'd probably wait till they're maybe eight or nine. You don't have to read or anything, but just yeah. figuring out some of the strategy of it can be a little for yeah. older kids, I think. Yeah. You should, uh, I don't know if you've ever looked through all the DSG reviews I did with Luke when he was like nine, but some of the games I had him playing when he was nine are like absurd. Like if I had to do over, I I mean, like, I'm like, Oh no wonder this kid's burnt out on board games. Like I had the guy playing like twilight struggle when he was nine. I don't know. Like, so. Yeah. That might be a little too early for that game. Yeah. I, I mean, bit. like he's like, dad, the blue jeans philosophy just doesn't work. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you every time with this, you know, trade embargo that I can drop on you. I mean, like, that's obviously not true but like it was pretty heavy games i tried to get to play with him and like it's real fun like when he was nine we did these reviews like i said and every time he reviewed a game i'd say so what does it get out of 10 he'd go huh seven and a half like it was every game was a seven and a half (laughs) i give i give tortoise in the hair a seven and a half that sounds good so my last game i was going to talk about is a game that i've talked about on here before but we played it with correct rules and that's dogs of war I'm just gonna say this: we played it with the right rules, and it was better. But because wow, now really? I'm gonna go with an, nice. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with an audible on this because I, I want to talk about this game a little bit. We talked about the social deduction games. I was like, I don't need to talk about this one too because I'm talking about two of those little fun party-ish social deduction games. The other one I want to talk about is this game that I got on accident, and this is like I love talking about games like this that nobody talks about and no one knows about. So that's why I'm wanting to talk about it. And this is gonna be news to Jason too. I, I he loves it when I do this when I go for the audible here. Uh, no, uh, what what is what is it? The Peyton Man- Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, we're doing we're going with the uh, Audible here. The game I played was Leaders of Euphoria, 
which I got it because I thought it was an expansion for Euphoria. Like I just was so like full of like excitement when I saw it on clearance for nine bucks. I was like, oh man, is that an expansion for Euphoria? Which is a game that I will definitely talk about on this podcast at some point. But I, I just immediately was like, rage buy, buy it, get it before they sell out and got it. And then I got it and like, I'm looking at the front of it and I open it up and I'm like, wait, wait a minute. How does this, how do I integrate these like, cardboard laser guns and like roll cards into euphoria and then I look at the front and i'm like oh this is a standalone game in the euphoria universe so it's i don't know have you ever played good cop bad cop before jason or is that new to you too no i haven't played it just because i don't like to play those kinds of games so really no i've played like three games like that the resistance secret hitler and deception and that's that's yeah So they don't like really appeal to you too much in general. That's why it wouldn't, you know, make it to your table. Well, this one, this one's, uh, I think it's as good as any of those other ones that you mentioned. Um, You have these, it's, it's good cop, bad cop, but they rethemed it as euphoria. And if you like good cop, bad cop, I think this game's actually a fuzz better than good cop, bad cop. So if you're listening and you're like good cop, bad cop, good game, you leaders of euphoria, um, I'm going to go ahead and give you my secret. It was on thinkgeek.com for nine bucks. So hopefully they still have a copy or two out there for you. But at any rate, um, the whole game is like on your turn, you're able to do any number of actions. Um, and you have a hand of cards as well. So you can play it on cards from your hand, but you have, you have three roll cards in front of you, which is kind of clever. And then you can grab a, 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 like laser gun and point it at someone on your turn, but you can't fire it till the next round. So like you have to almost give them like a, I'm calling my shot kind of thing. Like, Hey, I'm going to try and take you out. And then like, they have a whole round to like their teammates who are trying to protect them can try and take you out or whatever. So it's like you're calling your shot almost um, before you do it. So, um, and then when you zap somebody, you have to flip all three of their cards. Well, the other kind of clever thing too is you have three cards and and out of the three cards, whatever you have the majority of is what faction you're in. So like there's the Euphorians and there's the Wastelanders and there's the, uh, I don't remember the other factions. Yeah, Subterrans, there you go, uh, is the other faction. And um, so you start off as either a Subterran or a, or a Euphorian, and whatever you have the majority of cards of is what you are. So like you might have a card flip over that's Euphorian, but your other two cards are Subterran. So you're really a Subterran, but people might assume that or make a good a good logical guess that you're a euphorian then. And so like that might be a way that you can play that. And then the other thing that can happen too is if you get the leader card, so there's like a bunch of follower cards and then a very few leader cards in there. So if you get like the euphorian leader card, you can have two subterran cards, but you're still euphorian because you have the leader. So the being the leader thing trumps getting a majority of cards even. So um, the fact that like there's partial information that comes out is kind of cool. But then when you zap somebody, all three of their cards flip over. Well, then to throw on top of that, you have these cards that is really where the game's at. These actions happen in these cards. So like, um, like they have really funny names too. Like there's a baseball bat in there and it's called like, it's like, you know, the whole thing of euphoria is you're playing is like almost like a cult leader or like a, someone who's like trying to like brainwash people into making like a civilization that you're the head of. And so like. The things just have really funny names in the in the board game, and they also have funny names in this game too. So like, there's a baseball bat in the deck, and it's called like the Rod of Encouragement or something like that. (laughs) That's awesome. You use the Rod of Encouragement though to steal someone else's like 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 a ray gun. So like, so someone's like, yeah, I'm gonna blast you, and you go, "Uh, but you're not, because here's my Rod of Encouragement. So I'm taking the gun from you and pointing it back at you. So I mean, like, it's just that kind of game just kind of a blast each other and whatever kind of game. And it's, it's one that 
I don't think it's better than Secret Hitler. I don't think it's better than Secret Hitler at all. But it's certainly very good. And if you're tired of Secret Hitler and you're looking for another game, kind of in the same vein, it's uh, it's really cheap right now. And I think it's a bit better than Good Cop, Bad Cop. Because the difference is in Good Cop, Bad Cop, once you get... Once you're, if you're on the bad cop team and you get, you know, blasted for being a bad cop, then you're just out of the game. You're eliminated, which is the worst thing ever to have happen in a game. Like player elimination is just a terrible, terrible like rule set or mechanic or whatever you want to say. Whereas in Euphoria, you get taken out of the game, you flip your card over, and now you're a wastelander. So you're in the third faction. So the third faction is just basically like people who are just mad at the world and they're just trying to kill anybody. So like if you kill either of the leaders, you win as a wastelander. So it's just kind of cool how that all like works out together. So my third game I wanted to talk about was Euphoria. Took took the audible there. Dogs of War is awesome. I'll talk about it any other time. If you want to email me, Joel at BoardGameMechanics or BGMechanics.com, I will send you a nice five-paragraph, well-formatted essay about Dogs of War and why it's amazing. But for today, I wanted to talk about Euphoria. So uh, not just Euphoria, leaders of Euphoria. Right. Sounds cool. For a minute there, it sounded like it was like cashing guns with the pointing guns at people. Yeah. I mean, it has a little feel of that um, in that you're like pointing guns at people. Um, But it's it's more like it's it's certainly good cop, bad cop. But it's uh, the whole like I'm blaming people and trying to kill other people off feels a little more like the coup than than cash uh-huh. and guns even. But, yeah, I can um, see them, yeah. But it, at any rate, it's uh, it's a fun game, real fun game, and the components on it are great. It's not a Stonemaier game, so the components aren't that great because Stonemaier games amazing components. But this has really good components right up there with Stonemaier games level level components. The box is really nice, the cards are nice. So but, if wow. you can get it at a nine dollar bargain, go for it. I just don't I, understand why they set it in that universe. That's confusing. That confuses right, people. Right. There's a few games like that that are like, oh, that's clearly an expansion, and then it's not. Like um, Battleships or Battlecruisers, Eminent Domain right. Battlecruisers, um, by our buddy, you know, Philip DB. Like yeah. that that game like is a standalone. And I thought for sure it's like the same size box and like the same looking box as all the expansions are. So I was like, oh, another expansion to buy. But then I find out, hey, it's it's a standalone game. So that's another example. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't I don't get it. But it's not for me to understand, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's it for what we played then. Um, so moving on. Tonight, we are talking, in fact, about games named after places that are real, places that exist, named after people. Um, so things rooted in real life. Um be it a, a person or a place. Next time we'll do things. So so we'll hit all the noun categories for our games next time. So, but this is people's like, input. That's like, that's like every game. <laughs> yeah, trains. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think we'll do that one actually. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and start, Jason. Um, all right, go for it. And I'll tell you why I'm going to go ahead and start. Because I'm first on our list for the show notes. So Sounds good. <laughs> I like it. My first game is one that um, I was trying to figure out, you know, games for this one. And uh, I was like, oh, man, what what out there is there that I really like? And I was thinking of some games that you've talked about in the last few weeks, things that are actually on your list. And um, and I'm like, oh, man, I kind of want to talk about that one, but I should like save that one for Jason or whatever. And then I actually started looking through the board game Geek Top 100. And I was like, oh, duh, I love that game. And that's San Juan. Um, so that's the first one on my list. It's a really good game. If you've not played it, it's, uh, it's the card game of Puerto Rico 
And I personally think it holds up better. I think in 2017, San Juan's a better game than Puerto Rico. I know it's crazy to say that, but if I'm going to play something that takes as much time and like head power as Puerto Rico, there's other games I'd rather play. Whereas San Juan's just a much lighter game. You can play a game of it in 30 to 45 minutes. Um, but it's basically, it's basically the first game, as far as I know, that use that whole mechanic of the, your cards are also the currency that you use. So like you earn cards by harvesting stuff that go in your hand, but then also to pay to build stuff, you have to pay cards out of your hand. So like the double use of the cards as both your money and as your actions and things you can do in the game is just kind of a cool mechanic, I think. And Honestly, like Race for the Galaxy is a, a game that I really love, and it's a direct ripoff of this game. Um, honestly, it's like a space retheming with like some extra little things put into it, um, and it, it made the game even better, I think. But San Juan was the original, and um, I mean, just a 20-second how the game works kind of thing is you take a roll. And then it has like a leader role. Like if you pick the ch the chit out of the middle, the the piece of cardboard, then you get like an additional benefit. So if it's like drawing cards, you draw two cards and everyone else draws one card as the follower. Um, and then like once those roles are taken, no one else can take that role that round. Then they all go back in the middle and everyone picks a role again, which is just exactly like Puerto Rico. But then your cards are so valuable to you because – um, they are what you pay. Like I said, you pay for all your structures and stuff that you buy with the cards, but then also you need those cards to get more structures and stuff for the face side of the cards. So you end up growing a bunch of different plantations and stuff that, um, you know, like tobacco farms and coffee plantations and stuff like that, that basically have that thing of, Hey, I'm going to plant stuff in this, in this field and then harvest it later. And it gives you back, like, you know, when the, when the markets come around, you get, you know, somewhere between like two to five cards out of that action that you just did. And so, um, it's a good way to get a ton of cards. And then also there's like different buildings and things you can get for your village that help you with, you know, when you take this role, do this extra thing or that kind of thing. And it's, it's just a really clean game, really sleek game that I just really enjoy, um, with that role selection and just the card play. Yeah. I haven't played this or Puerto Rico, which I know is like a cardinal sin, but oh no, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I even want to play it, honestly. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, it's, I, I, I endorse playing it and it's one that I own, but I wouldn't suggest like if you, if you're somebody who knows me, I wouldn't suggest someone else to buy it, to have their own copy. Like my copy, having it around to play it is perfectly adequate. So, um, but I definitely think it's better than Puerto Rico. Yeah. I've, I've heard it's better and I, I've heard some bad stuff about Puerto Rico. So yeah, I don't need well, to play that one either. The The problem with Puerto Rico is if you were going to sit down and try and play Puerto Rico right now with someone who's serious enough about gaming to actually play Puerto Rico, like there's a good chance that person has been in gaming for five years or something, five plus years, and they've played Puerto Rico 25, 30 times. And so when you've played Puerto Rico that many times, you know like the tempo of the game and what role you're supposed to pick to like maximize what other people are going to do. And right. like... If you if you play with that experienced group, sometimes you'll take the wrong role in the wrong order, and those people will get really mad at you because you like did a suboptimal move, and then it messes them up. So like, or like they'll just demolish you because you don't know exactly what you're doing. So it's like, it's like playing tennis with somebody who's like played college level tennis, and you're just a fat guy who, you know, owns a tennis racket. So I mean, like, it's <laughs> Puerto Rico is really hard to get a game in with and have any fun with it hardly anymore. Whereas San Juan's not that way at all. You can pick up San Juan. And be competitive with it 
in in a game or less than a game of playing San Juan. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm really interested about your game that you're going to talk about because I just picked this one up last weekend. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, and I bought it largely on your endorsement of it. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, um, I'm going to talk about Shakespeare, which is based at, or on William Shakespeare, who is a real guy. Oh, so that's why I picked this game because it's named after a real man. Why did you um, put an emphasis on that he is a real person? Because the conspiracy theory is that he's not out there? Yeah, there's some other guy <laughs> that supposedly wrote his plays. I don't know. My wife would know yeah. more about it. I, 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 I heard it was like a that. collective of guys or something almost at one time or something, too. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. But either way, it made this list. Um, essentially, there's, what a, it is, there's also a face on Mars and we never landed on the moon. But, I mean, just you can go on <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Um, essentially, what this is is a worker placement game. And... You're, you're bidding with your workers for turn order. So at the beginning of the round, you're going to either do one to five workers that you're going to bid with, and the lowest number is first player. And you have four people on this board that you can choose from to take different actions to move up some tracks, which I love tracks. Um, you can recruit new actors to come to your play. You can buy some costumes for the actors. You can buy some set pieces for your set so you can score points. Um and on the third round and the fifth round, or sixth round, however many rounds there are, I think there's five or six. On the third round and the last round, there's a dress rehearsal. And then you're going to get points if you have your actors fully costumed. You're going to get points um, for where you are on your set pieces. And uh, it's a, a standard worker placement game, but it's got some cool different ideas in it that I really like. Yeah, I, I think that mechanic you talked about a little bit where you like secretly put a number of your workers in your hand and then you kind of like simultaneously reveal how many workers you have like that auction mechanic. I've never seen anywhere else. And that looks kind of cool. And then help me understand this. Cause I don't know completely how to play yet, but like, are your lockers work? Are your workers locked into a space for a certain amount of time that you can't use them multiple rounds or something? Cause someone was saying it's hard to balance knowing whether you should take just a couple workers and save your workers for later when you might need them more or like I'm trying to figure out how that might play into the game or if that's just I'm not understanding there no so say I bid one worker out of my uh-huh. five for that whole entire round I have one worker that I get to do something with I'm going to go first but I only have one worker that I get to do anything with right so you so, would do that if you were like I absolutely have to get to this spot and if I don't get there it's going to mess my whole game up. Yeah. It's worth sacrificing four action placements or whatever for that one spot. Right. And if if there's a tie, like say three people bid 3 and that's the lowest. If there's a tie, whoever was the first person to activate an actor, the previous round gets initiative and they will break a tie. So even though people bid the same things, there's still other ways to break the tie. And I also have the expansion to this which is called Backstage where you can use the the workers that you don't bid with. Like, so let's say I had the two extra if I bid three. I could then use those workers to put on one of the backstage people to get a bonus action. So you get to use all your workers when you have the expansion. So it's like a, like Consolation Prize, almost like Doc Bad Luck and Dice Town or something like that. Like it sounds right. like. The stuff is way better than that, though. Yeah. Okay. So it's like not as good as the main board. You'd still want to try and get out there if you could, but you're still going to get something if you don't use your workers. That's, huh? That's yeah. pretty cool. It's fun. It's it's one of Katie's favorite games. So, she I think mostly she likes the theme about it. So that helps. I think. What's the weight you'd put this one at? Is this like a medium, medium heavy? Um, 
it's probably medium. It's one of those games like Dinosaur Island. It it seems heavier than it is because really you're just yeah. going to a place and doing what it says. But the way you can do that is it, it almost seems convoluted, and I don't want to say that because it's not. But it's it's laid out in a fashion that you have. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it it seems heavier than it is. It's probably mid- midweight. So would you would you like you know the the gateway game that everyone talks about um, for getting people into worker placement is um, is Lords of Waterdeep. Like if you had someone play Lords of Waterdeep, they were familiar with like worker placement on that level, or let's say Stone Age, another kind of like entry level worker placement game. Would this be like a next game you'd play with them, or would this be something you'd play still further on down the road because it's kind of a little more complicated? I actually think um, it, you could probably play it with someone who's never played worker placement. It's that huh. easy, but it would take a little more explaining on what you're doing. Huh. So the- it, it it's mid it's midweight, but I think depending on the group, I think people who've never played worker placement could do it. People who have played like a more complicated game could, but it doesn't necessarily matter if you know how worker placement actions right. would work. Huh. The well, and I wondered about that because the art on this game is really accessible. So like a lot of times when you look at like a a worker placement game that's like a Euro, heavier Euro game, there's just like this one has its fair number of symbols on the board and things, but it's just like symbols everywhere to like say this exchange happens here. And then like it has like little like um like like fancy little augmentation around all the pieces and stuff to like really make the board look like super ornate. Like this one's not plain by any means, but it's almost like the art is just a much more accessible, like family weight looking game almost. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, it's, it's really nice to look at. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I'm excited to get it out and play it. Um, my, I don't know if this is just my copy or if every copy is like this, but the plastic on my insert for my game was like so thin. It actually had holes in it. So like, I don't know. I, I I'll have to do with that. What I do with all my inserts practically is just throw it away. But I mean, like, yeah, that was a little disappointing. But other than yeah. that, the components were really like nice. that, so it must have been yours. Huh. Bad luck, bad luck, Joel. Yep. Well, speaking of entry level worker placement games, my uh, my second game I want to talk about is Belfort, uh, which is a game that not a ton of people know about. Um, I don't know, maybe they do, but it's a TMG game, which they're known for making like kind of silly wackadoo games, like a little bit light, more lighthearted games than, uh, like some of the other companies out there, but this is a rock solid worker placement game. Um, and it's funny that I picked this game for like my games named after real places or like based in reality, because this game is totally like a fantasy game. Like you play as like dwarfs and elves and stuff like that in Belfort, but, um, it's a really cool game. The board is, is, is Belfort a real place? Yeah. It's, it's in France. I'm pretty sure. Oh, so, interesting. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, at any rate, Belfort is like, uh, a fantasy in this place, but, Anyway, the board is like this uh, pentagonal five-sided city that has walls around it. And the board, you like slide together like pizza slices kind of thing. And um, and then you basically, uh, you're building up the city, um, like building parts of the city. You're playing as like a contractor in this, in this city. And so I guess it's, you know, like named after the city that you're building, but... Um, but it's 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 neat because the the different workers can do different things. So you are able to get like dwarf workers who are able to collect more of a certain resource versus elves, which can get more of a different resource, which is kind of a cool mechanic. And then the other thing too that randomizes in this game that kind of keeps it 
that kind of keeps it uh, fresh is there are these guilds. And these guilds are really powerful, but they get randomized every game. So each section of the board, there's five different guilds. And some of them are like these really nasty like um, like player interaction things where it's like you're going to steal a card from someone or uh, take something from somebody. Whereas a lot of them are more like um, – like they're just really high powered, like the stonemasons guild. So you just get a ton of stone for going there. Um, and then it's like any other worker placement game where like you're building stuff, like you have like these blueprints you build and like it opens up new things in the game that are exclusive to you or whatever. And you get more and more powerful as you keep playing and keep building more things. And it's just the weight on it is just right. Like it's just like a, a shade heavier than like those real entry level games. And I actually gave this one to a friend of mine um, because he loved it so much. And I kind of regret doing it, especially now that it's out of print and a little hard to find. So, um, I yeah, don't know. I've been trying to find this one for a while and it's tough. It yeah. Tough. It's, it's a good one though. I kept it in, I, I got rid of it in favor of the Manhattan project, which almost I put on there because it's a real event and it's named after Manhattan. But, um, I'll put that one on some other time when we do like historical games or something. But, um, it's, uh, it's it's a good game. Belfort's certainly a good game. The component quality was really good too. I really like the little like miniature stone and wood and stuff in it. And it's as good a it's as good a worker placement game in that like weight, that medium weight class as, as I've ever played. So it's my number two game that I wanted to talk about with uh with games named after real places and stuff. That's cool. Um my number two is a game that was just on my last shit well, not my last one. Maybe it was my last one. It was on a shelf video, and that's Marco Polo. And I don't know, this is one of my absolute favorite games of all time. I love this game. And it even has dice in it, which is almost a no-no for a Euro guy like me. But you can manipulate the dice and You, you have a paradoxical a nature about you, though. You really do love, like, you really do love your dice, too. I mean, so, yeah, I don't I do know. I like dice. Yeah, I do. Like, Grand Austria is one that you really like, and it's got a bunch of dice in it, and Lorenzo's got a bunch of dice in it, and I don't know, man. Like, you like your dice in there, too, but you don't like it when the dice are, like, critical that you have to get a certain number, which I think that's when I like the dice, too. It's like the dice just randomize things that you can do, not if you can do or can't do things, if that makes sense. Yeah, essentially at its core, though, Marco Polo is a worker placement game. So you're using those dice at certain locations on the board to move around the map so you can put out little trading houses to go get resources, to complete contracts using those resources, to go get money. I mean, that's all you're doing. And the nice thing about this game, which I really like, is if you want to go to a spot, you can go to a spot even if someone's already there. You just have to pay a tax. Yeah. So say someone goes to the movement spot and I really need to move, I can put my dice on top of theirs and I just have to pay a tax based on the value of my lowest die. So I can go there. It's just going to be more expensive, which I really enjoy that. It's like a friendly worker placement, which is nice to me. I'm totally down with that too. Like, I don't like the whole you block people when you put guys on placements. Like, I just, I don't care for that. I way, way, way prefer that you can bump people. Like, that's a much more preferred mechanic. And I mean, it's not just because I like love Stonemeyer games again and he does that in a lot of his games. It's just, I think it's a much more strategic way to do it. And like, even on this, you're not bumping, you're just making somebody else pay a little more. So, like, the bump thing though is a clever mechanic to me because it's like you give that other player a benefit. You give them a free action almost when you bump them out. And with the tax thing, does the tax just go to the bank or does the player who's there get to collect your tax? 
it goes to the bank. It's just yeah. basically punishing you. It doesn't help the other person at all. Yeah. I mean, that's even, that's a fair way to do it too. If it's just a small amount of money extra you have to pay, I mean, just to not be the first one there. And then, so the other question I have for you too is like, so let's say we're playing like a four player game of this and I'm the first one there. I don't pay any tax. Then do, do all the players pay the same tax to go to the same spot I'm in? Or is it like the tax keep increasing? No. If, if, if you go somewhere, it's free. Say I go there and my lowest number is a one. I'm going to pay a one. If someone else goes there and their lowest number is like a three, they're going to pay a three. Gotcha. So it's based on whatever dice you put there. So it's not like you play your number plus one, your number plus two or whatever. Right. No. It's just no. based on, okay, that's cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, that, that like takes some of the like, I don't know. Like I've definitely played worker placement games where everybody knows that everybody has to get to this spot. And so the first player always just grabs it. So then the first, the first thing anyone ever does is go to that like super prestigious spot. And then the second player always goes to the, I'm going to be first player in next round spot. You know what I mean? Right, so right. being able yeah, to have things a little more opens a lot better, I think. Yeah, I agree. And, um, also this game has awesome player powers where every power is just game breaking. I mean, they're nasty. Right. Like when you have when you have one, you're like, man, this is awesome. And then you look at someone else, it's like, oh man, that one's better than mine. Everybody's is better than yours, and they think the same about yours. It's it's amazing. Right. Like I was listening to someone talk about the game powers in this game. Like this is way on my radar. I definitely want this game, um, and I I haven't played it even yet. So like I'm embarrassed to say that because it just looks like it's a great game, and I'm I'm a little embarrassed I haven't played it yet. But um, one person was describing the player powers and I mean like I in my mind I think like they have to be like exaggerating a little bit but it sounds like they aren't like one player power is you just you don't roll your die you just place them on whatever numbers you want to put them on yeah it's whatever number you want they can be all sixes if you want that's crazy and then like another one has like everyone has like a certain amount of like routes that they can connect to and theirs are like doubled they literally have like twice the options for like where they want to like do their like ports or whatever like I don't know, just just crazy good stuff that everybody gets. I don't know, it sounds like a really, really great game. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite ones is usually you can only build at a spot when you're moving around the map, the place that you stop. But there's this one guy who you can build every time you go through a place. So you can just spend time moving through like four cities and every city you go through, you can just drop a building. So you've got like all your buildings out on the board and other people have like one. <laughs> it's insane. Wow. That is insane. <laughs> it's insane. Like, really. Like, man, that's not even right. But I've had that guy and I've still lost. So clearly it's it's not an issue. Yeah. They, the game's notorious for having those stupidly overpowered things that you can do, but then them being remarkably balanced, even though they're stupidly different. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. Well, my top spot, bottom spot, however you want to look at it, is a game that I mentioned earlier that I just played over the last weekend, and I absolutely love this game. It's like, you know that thing of like where you play a game for the first time, and you're like, yeah, that's my favorite game now. Like, I definitely got that from this game. Um, And that game is uh, none other than Mombasa. That game is so good. It's just everything it does is so... ah. it's a masterpiece. Like everything is so smooth. Everything is so well integrated to each other. The only thing that's a little bit like, ah, I don't understand what's going on with this is their bookkeeping track. But even it makes sense. Like it's like something to use your cards with and not have to use your cards up, if that makes any sense. But um, 
it's I kind of feel bad putting this one on games that I love based on real locations because like the whole theme of this game is pretty rough if you really start start to think about it on too much of a deep level. It really um, is, yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. even even the rule book though has a thing in it where it's like, hey, listen, this game's about British colonialism. It was definitely a historical thing that happened, and this theme works well with this, but we don't say that these events that happened in Africa were basically it was getting carved out by the British are good events. We don't condone these events and wish that they happened more. Um, but they, we acknowledge they did exist and we, we, we encourage you to read the heart of darkness or whatever. I forget the name of the book as they say, but like to really learn more about these events and understand them. So I think that's kind of a neat way for them to be able to say, yeah, we did make a game about this thing, but at the same time, we don't want to try and glorify it. And it kind of feels like a cop out though. Like I was thinking about it today and I was like, there's a lot of historical games that cover things that are like rough historical events. Like when it came to my mind right off the bat is, is freedom and the underground railroad. Yeah, like it's about slavery and stuff, but like you're playing on the right side of history on that one. You know what I mean? Like right. you're playing as someone who's freeing the slaves in Mombasa. You're playing as someone who's like almost, not enslaving people necessarily, but you're like capitalizing on the capitalizing yeah. on the fact that this is happening. So all that said, I I can definitely play this game without thinking about the theme at all, just thinking about the mechanics, and it's totally enjoyable to me. Um, and like, even when I was explaining the game to my friends, I was like being kind of silly about it, like saying like we're going on a huge camping trip, and that's why we're putting these tents up all over Africa. And we're going to need lots of bananas. So that's why we're storing these bananas in our tents. And that's why we're getting all this, all this coffee. Cause we need good fresh coffee in the morning to wake up in the morning. <laughs> and the funniest part about it is like, you don't even think twice about it. And I'm sure that there are bananas in Africa, but I'm pretty sure bananas are primarily from South America. But like, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Like it's definitely one of the commodities in this game, but it's just, it's such a slick game. If you don't know anything about it, you're basically playing, it's a stock game and I love stock games. So you're trying to increase the value of stocks um, of these four companies that are doing investments in Mombasa or in Africa. And you're advancing a diamond track. And as you advance the diamond track, you, you know, open up more spots to place commodities in this, like almost like market or where you like play down actions. And then you're also doing bookkeeping, which is kind of a weird mechanic. So you buy these books and then as you inventory things, but don't use them, you advance this bookkeeping track. That's the probably the strangest part of it. But then like you're doing area control almost where you keep trying to expand and explore into more regions of Africa and put more, you know, networks in Africa. And as you're doing all this, you're opening more player powers and abilities as you get a better interest in uh, owning more of these stocks and these companies. And it's just the way how it plays is just so great. And it's, um, it's the same guy who made grand Western trail or great Western trail. Um, and those games are both really awesome games that, I mean, like, I'm just eager to play them both right now, like a ton, but they're very different games. So like when usually when a guy has a game, two games come out at the same time, like, or like has a couple games that are really highly renowned for being like a heavier game or whatever, like both great Western and Mombasa are like, there's usually a ton of like, you know, Uwe Rosenberg and Stefan Feld, like those guys, you like they have a feel to their game. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I'm going to feed people. Cause it's a, it's a Rosenberg game or it's like, I'm going to have a billion ways to get points. Cause it's a Feld. Like 
these two games have like no overlap at all in what they're like. So the guy is just clearly a genius. I'm a real big fan of his games. Uh, I think his name is like Alexander Feaster or something like that. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but Mombasa is my, my top game. I just, man, I absolutely love this game. Yeah, I need to play this. We'll have to play this sometime soon. Yeah, it's just so good mechanically. Um, and like, I think like my, we're going on a camping trip retheme in my mind works pretty well. Like, and like the tracks are the, who's having the most fun, who has the most tense out to have the most fun, you know I mean? Like, so yeah, again, you get hung up on that theme thing. I would just say, Hey, this is the blue track. We're going on the blue <laughs> right. track. Right. Yeah. All right, Jason, bring us home here with your, your top location or place game or person game. All right. Well, I had a different one, but I changed it because we talked about it and I kind of felt bad for leaving this one off. So um, I'm actually going to talk about Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which I think is based on Lorenzo Medici. I think that's his name. Real you dude. C- you can't have a game be your favorite game of all time and not make it make a list when it qualifies. It's up there, though, right? It's like yeah, top it's five. In, yeah, it's top three, I think, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got to put so it on yeah. your list. Yeah, it, it functions similar to Marco Polo, where there's you have to if you want to go someplace that someone's already gone and these like towers to collect cards, you have to pay a tax. So the first person that goes there can do it for free. If you want to go in that tower after me, you got to pay three dollars hmm. or whatever the money is. Um, and basically, instead of placing dice, you have these little cylinder worker guys that have the power of the color of the die that's rolled, and you also have this really idiot like worker who's a zero. And he can't do anything without help of like an assistant from the family. So if you want to go to any spot, you have to take your stupid guy with like a, a chaperone so he can do what he needs to do to make sure that he does it correctly. Uh, it's a good game. Um, sometimes it can go on a little long. So I, I um, liked it. We played it a few weeks back. You and I did with our little group that we had. And I really liked it. And like it's another one of those games that when you look at the board, you're like, whoa, whoa, this is going to take me like an honorary degree from like board game university to know how to play this game. But then once you get going on it, it's not anywhere near as heavy as you thought it might be. There's plenty of there to think about. There's plenty of there to like figure out, but it's certainly doable. And it's, it's a really fun game once you figure out some of the symbols and stuff in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would, again, this is another one of those games that looks like it's super heavy, but really you're just going to a spot and doing what it says. So pretty straightforward. Really? Yeah. I, I got killed in this game. Um, because I didn't quite, I think I figured it out, but like, I didn't figure out the importance of stuff. So like a big part of the game is that you're trying to like make this like optimized, like almost like a factory or something where you like run these machinery, this machinery. And like, you get a bunch of benefits depending on the die that you put in there and like the better die, the more things you potentially can get out of it, out of like this one action area. And I never was really able to get that to fire for me or do what I needed it to. Um, one because other people thought it was like more more of a, an important thing than I did, so they were going to that spot first. This is one of those games where you do block each other out when you go to a, a placement. But then there's like the secondary placement too, but you have to pay so much money or so much extra like boosting power to try and like get your machines to run right and stuff. But I, I'm I would definitely play this game again, and I would definitely do better the second time because of just understanding a few things better. Yeah, and yeah, I've played this game at all player counts and. It's amazing everywhere. I actually think I might prefer it at two just because it goes a little quicker and mm. there's not as much blocking because there's, there are more places available. But yeah, it's good at all player counts. We played this one at four, I think. Yeah, four. That's that's the max. Yeah. Eh, it was a little long, 
but it wasn't terrible. And like one of the players we played with was a little bit like AP prone. So like it, it went a little long, but it didn't outstay its welcome too badly. And I don't know. It just, it felt really good. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I definitely would play it again. I mean, this is probably one of those games that I give like a six rating to on my scale, which a six feels low on board game geek, but like way how I rate games is like a 10 is a game that like, I absolutely am going to own that. Even if everyone else in my game group owned it, because I want to have access to it all the time and I would play it anytime, any day. There's not a ton of games out there like that. And eight's a game that I'm probably going to own if there's not easy access to it or like, um, if it's something that I do think I want to play pretty frequently, but an eight's like a game that I'll play most any day. And like a six is a game that I might own, but I certainly will play someone else's copy of it if it's available. And so I'd put it in that six category where like, I don't know that I'm going to own this one necessarily, but I would definitely play your copy, Jason, and enjoy it. Right. Yeah. It's a good game. I'll play it whenever somebody wants to play it. So I'm up for it. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a Simon game, right? I mean, like, yeah, it is. Simon's really stepping up there. Euro games. I, yeah, I can't believe it's a Simon game. Like, I would guess it's like a Hansam Glick, like imported by Rio Grande or something game. I don't know. Like, it's just, it's really pretty too. So, yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. Well, with that, I think we've got a few honorable mentions. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can go ahead and get started on mine. If yeah. Go for it. That's cool. All right. I have three. I'll just talk about them quickly because we're running pretty long. Um, I want to talk about Ulm, which is a game that I really like that doesn't get a ton of love. And the cool thing that this game has going for it, it has like this little action tile selection thing where you draw a tile out of the bag and you have to slide it in a row or a column. And whatever you push into are the three actions you get to take. So um, the next game I'm going to talk about is called Yunnan. This is uh, about hmm. tea trading. And it it's like a two-part game where the first half you're auctioning for pieces of road and buildings to build on this this route you're building in Yunnan. And then the second part of the game is you're actually building the route. So you're starting from Yunnan, I think, is the first city, and you're trying to go all the way around Asia to get to the farthest country or province, whatever. And the farther you can get, the more points you get, and you can take shortcuts by building bridges. It's really fun. It's not super popular, but I like it. And the third game I'll talk about is called Liguria or Liguria, however you say it. Um, this is essentially the prequel to Fresco. It's about the paint being delivered for, for the Fresco game. So you had these little boats, you're going around to people's docks, and you're picking up colored paints to complete these contracts that you need. And all the while doing that, you can send diplomats hmm. to their area to give you kind of like an area majority so you can score more points. And the whole the basic mechanism of the game is at the beginning of the turn, you're drafting tiles out of this like, bidding row and whatever tiles you draft are what you're going to be doing for that turn so you ha you're trying to maximize the tiles that you're drafting and you're also trying to draw these cards that let you move your boat in the correct ways and it's a really fun game and i think i got it for like five bucks so it's well worth five dollars that's for sure awesome um i've seen lingaria or ligaria or liguria or whatever on amazon a few times uh like on pretty heavy clearance and it's caught my eye um, I've never pulled the trigger on it, but your endorsement of it makes me think that when I can see it on like sell for under 10 bucks or something again, it's something that I would definitely, you know, give, give a pretty solid thought to. Yeah. I think you'll like it. It's, it's like light medium. It's pretty light, but it's really fun. There's enough strategy going on. And I think it's like six rounds too. So it doesn't go on forever. Yeah. Well, 
Cool. Um, my honorable mentions, I just have two of them. Ah, I'm going to give three of them. Um, one's just stupid. Like, it's just a stupid one to have. King of New York, King of Tokyo. Like, those games are just fun, like, dice-chucking stupid games. But they have a name of a city in them. And the, that kind of gets through quite a bit. Like, King of Tokyo, you definitely feel like you're a big monster attacking a city and then attacking other monsters. So that's a fun game that I would have really considered maybe putting it on my top three. But I didn't quite make it in there. Um, I think also just because like, I don't know, it, it has a name of a city in there as a part of it. It's not totally named after a city or a person. Um, then the, the it's next barely one, named after anything. Yeah. <laughs> he, right. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the other one is, uh, um, uh, uh, the castles of Met King Ludwig. It's another one too. Like, King Ludwig was definitely someone. Matt King Ludwig was someone. That's a great game. But it's, again, not, like, totally, uh, I don't know. It doesn't feel like the location is critical there. Like, I think just the fact that you're building a, ki- uh, a castle for someone who is nutty is, like, kind of the whole thing. And, I and I mean, like that said, I, I hear that if you look up the actual lore and the history of Mad King Ludwig, like, it's it's certainly – it's absolutely certainly like historically accurate, basically to like uh, to like what's happening with that guy's life and how he was just this weirdo who like wanted this like really strange castle built for whatever reasons. And so, I mean, like it's the fact that it's kind of based on this guy's life is kind of cool, but it just didn't quite make it into my top three. The final one is one that I guarantee if I had played it and if it was actually like more of a there's definitely places with this name, but I don't think the game's named after a place. So, like, if that makes sense, like, the word Concordia means, like, harmony or, like, happiness, like, accord, like, with each other in Rome, in Roman. And, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't think they named it after a particular place, but there's certainly lots of places it's called Concordia now. Like, there's lots of cities and stuff named Concordia. Um But that game didn't quite make my list just based on the fact that, like, Concordia – is one that one I've only played it with myself. Like so, I've set up like the game where I play with a couple players, a couple hands of cards and stuff. But I really did enjoy it that way, just as a learning game for myself. But I haven't had this one get to the table yet with a group to really enjoy it. So yeah, I'm sure that if we revisited this list, I would probably bend the rule a little bit and say, you know what, Concordia's making it on, even though it's not named after a real place, like as itself being a place based game because it's just that awesome. Like I'm really just looking forward to playing it. So. That's uh, that's my honorable mentions. Um, so yeah, like you said, Jason, we're going a little long on this one, and I think we probably ought to wrap it up. So, anything else? No, I'm good. Um, I talked about everything I wanted to talk about. I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's more, but there's if always next time. If you made it to this part of the podcast, I'm gonna like feel like I need to give you like a code word or something. Like the code word is, um, is Omaha. Yeah, Omaha. So if you type in <laughs> Omaha. You get a high six on the on the Facebook Ooh, page. So I, I love high sixes. They're the they're the best. <laughs> so anyway, hey, tune in. Uh, I'm not sure if we're quite going to go to weekly shows, but that's something we're looking at doing here in the future. Um, so tune in in either a week or two weeks. If you subscribe, you don't have to worry about it. Um, but we're going to talk next time about our favorite designers, and that's something that I think that we'll talk with a lot of passion about because I have a couple of designers I absolutely adore, and I know Jason does too. Yeah, I sure do. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. You've been uh, listening to the Board Game Mechanics. Check us out at bgmechanics.com or on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash board game mechanics, the board game mechanics. 
So thank you again, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, see you.